The voice of Husker Nation is on the air. This is Hale Varsity Radio. Insight, opinion, expertise, along with the biggest names talking Nebraska sports. Join in with the show at 402-489-1240 or 1-800-825-5865. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbel. Thanks for hanging. It's Hour 2 at Hale Varsity. We're powered by Cornhead Lager. Out of the uh, stream come several UNLV fans. <laughs> Uh, pretty good. Uh, Moonbot, uh, Eric, uh, we somehow got on the topic of UNLV with the, the email, which was great. Uh, we will have just incredible behind-the-scenes Shannon Sharp, Johnny Football, Bag Man talk next segment. It's, a, it's about a three-minute clip of uh, life pre-NIL in the SEC. Just nuts. So we'll we'll have that coming up. We are excited to spend time with Evan Bland, and, and Omaha World Herald, joins us. Speaking of behind the scenes here, welcome Evan to the show. I was telling him right as I put him online, I was worried because I look into the studio and you're nowhere to be found. The intro is playing. I'm like, where on earth is Schmitty? I'm getting, I'm getting it dubbed and I'm getting it edited and I'm uh, making sure there's no Johnny football F-bombs so we can come to work tomorrow. We have the, the, the dump button. I, I know, but, you know, Which Evan, so, I'm, I'm sometimes just, works. it's just due diligence, Evan, how we do it. Hanging in. Yeah, I want to hear some of that bag man talk. It's harder to know if it was more unregulated 10 years ago or more so now, but uh, the stories are outstanding for they, sure. They are, and they all kind of started 40 plus, I mean, they started way before that, but you had the, the payroll to meet, right, with SMU and Eric Dickerson and his maroon Trans Am that A&M bought him allegedly. Uh, and he ended up going to SMU and old UNLV Ron Meyer finding his way down to to, to Southern Methodist and uh, on and on you go uh, with teams that eh, will put you on probation. But really the bombshell dropped uh, when it comes to football and teams getting sliced off at the knees was SMU. And then even in the old Big 8, Evan, you remember, I think you're, you're uh, old enough to remember – some really good Oklahoma and Oklahoma State teams and even Texas A&M where all of them went after Hartley Dykes. Oklahoma State got him, kind of the 2.0 version of Irving Fryer. And mm-hmm. what's hilarious is, uh, to, to you know, Nebraska fans, is both of them, uh, Hartley Dykes and Oklahoma State, two-year TV ban. That was right mm-hmm. after the Barry Sanders Heisman two-year TV ban for Oklahoma. Some of us had to pody up to watch Nebraska-Oklahoma on pay-per-view, for God's sake, in 89. <laughs> and, and then A&M got popped. <laughs> A&M's, you know, the, the last time they were on TV for a two-year stretch was the uh, kickoff classic against Nebraska, you know, before the end of the season Texas game. But wild times, man. I mean, it's that is a great question. Is it wilder now or is it wilder then? I would go then because it was illegal. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, just so many great stories out of that time. And now you see, you know, players like taking pictures proudly in front of their leased automobiles or in their luxurious furnishings or whatever. It's just strange to see it so far out in the open. And in some ways it feels, you know, quaint 20 years ago to kind of see what teams got in trouble for because now it's all legal. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's wild stuff. 
Well, I remember I showed my my roommate, Alex, who is not the biggest college sports fan, huge Packers fan, has never really gotten into college sports. I don't know how I live with him, but I, I digress. I showed him the, the 30 for 30, the pony excess, mm-hmm. and he was like, oh, they paid a player's rent? Who cares? Why was this such a big story? That's the thing is it was under the table, so it was more scandalous, but you compare it to now where it's like, Oh, yeah, he's got an NIL valuation of $1.4 million, and he's going to leave college with his retirement taken care of. That is awesome, though. I mean, think about that. Think about being a 22-year-old that you're set for life, and potentially you have family members now set. If you, if you, if you financially plan it correctly, whether you play a down or throw a pitch or shoot a basketball at the next level. Uh, in the, well, in the pro and, world. And, and we're getting to the point too, guys. And I'll be curious, like as NIL becomes more entrenched and, and, you know, it, it, I guess more of the norm, like just the dynamic of being a college kid and you're making six figures and seven, eight years ago, you're, you're ready to be done with football. So you can go to the professional level or you can make it, you know, have a, make a living, have a regular career. And now you're going to have guys who are used to making six figures uh, maybe they don't have an NFL career after that. And then you have to go and just like work a regular job and maybe make, you know, half or a fraction of what you're making in college. It's just, it's the paradigm shift is just crazy. I'll be really fascinated to see how that kind of plays out too. That old non-football job interview. Well, I made this much in college. <laughs> well, son, we're going to start you out at 41 with benefits. What do you say? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, what did you make at your previous job? Yeah, you know, $400,000. Well, that's probably not going to translate into the real world whenever you're done. That's It's just, I mean, someday I want to talk to guys who went through transitions like that because it's just opposite of what it's always been. And I wonder if we ever someday reach a point that guys say they get to the end of their college career. And, and right now we're not at this point by any means, but you reach a point where a guy says, I made the money I wanted to make on my good. college football career. I'm not going pro football. I'm not going to go destroy my body for the next decade. Whenever I have, again, as we kind of talked about, my retirement's taken care of. I got my 401k all loaded up. I'm just going to go work a regular job for 30 years, retire early and go travel the world with good health. You, you wonder if we're ever going to reach that point, but it's kind of an aside here. Well, here's the, here's the window, and I don't think anybody will ever take the NFL down. They're too big to fail. They're incredible. Look at the TV numbers. Look at the contracts. But it is a non-guaranteed sport in the most uh, vicious league despite uh, the, the safety attempts. I mean, you can't breathe on, on the quarterback without getting a flag anymore. I was watching video last night. Troy Aikman got smoked by some defensive lineman from the Cardinals circa 1989. Aikman not only got ear hold, but then full body weight body slammed and delivered a perfect pass for a touchdown. Well, you fast forward to now. Yeah, if there's a competing league that will guarantee contracts that are somewhat comparable, <laughs> good luck with that startup money. You know, there, there's your there's your window to challenge the NFL. You're going to have spring football that has four major TV deals now. Four networks are going to be putting on, you know, the Rocks League. Uh, but I don't know, just kind of a, a fun spitball exercise. Thank you, Johnny Football, for the gift that keeps on, on giving. And I texted you during the break. Like, Johnny Manziel, his saga, as we learn more and more, it feels like on a monthly basis about Johnny Football's football career, that story just gets more insane. And he was the talk of college football for three he years. He was fun, man. There was so much more that, that there was yet to be uncovered about Johnny Football. It's just incredible. Like, going to look back, I think, 
personally, whenever I get to be an old man on Johnny Football as being some of the most fun college football ever was, just because of what he did on the field and then all the information we've gotten off the field mm. since. Well, uh, let's uh, keep it within the football family and talk Nebraska. And, and you know how Johnny Manziel, he redshirted and then won the job at A&M. Uh, there's a, a high chance, probably a, a great chance, Dylan Raiola, Evan, doesn't redshirt. And, you know, what What can we talk about with, with Dylan? Can he have, and I'm not saying Heisman uh, this early, uh, but, you know what? <laughs> wait, wait, check yourself. <laughs> well, I'm not saying Heisman I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just asking, you know, what, what kind of impact do you expect? And we were talking with Babbers about this earlier. Can you expect from, from Nebraska, say they go with the true freshmen, either of them, uh, versus uh, a Harburg? we got to keep uh, the race open, right? But we all kind of think, all right, Dylan's got the skill set to be the dude. And, and, you know, Coach Rules talked about making sure the, whoever the quarterback is is ready. And I love that approach. And uh, good, good. That, that's got to be the rule. That said, uh, yeah, you have a, a kid in, in Riola that's super gifted, you know, what, what could this freshman year look like? Yeah, I mean, it's a, an interesting question. Like, I, you know, I, I've talked with my colleagues. You look at some mm-hmm. of the star quarterbacks in, across college football that have emerged over the years. Typically, <clears throat> those guys don't do it right away. Maybe they do it the second half of their freshman years. Maybe they do it after a redshirt year, and then they take off. It's a different situation in Nebraska where there is no – obvious incumbent. I mean, you have Heinrich Harburg who started eight games, but in a lot of ways he's as new to the position as a true freshman just because uh, the previous staff didn't really consider him part of the plans and all the rest. And so, you know, the situation is absolutely there for him to earn the job. Uh, Even days like today, I'm sure as Nebraska is going through conditioning and, and mat drills and you're kind of finding out who's the leader, who accepts uh, good enough, who's pushing the standard to a higher level, who's emerging as a leader, all that stuff is is playing out now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's obvious there's opportunity there for Nebraska. I think the schedule really lines up well. I mean, you, you think about if this was a year ago and you think, okay, Dylan Rayola is going to be the guy in your first game's at Minnesota and your second game's at Colorado. Like, that would be a much different situation. I think the perspective would be different than what it is this year where you get UTEP at home. You don't leave, you know, the state until late September and that's at Purdue. So like, it's a very manageable sort of on-ramp into college football and, and learning the speed and <clears throat> kind of knowing what you want to do. So I think all that absolutely plays in Nebraska's favor. And then you add just the, the talent that he has, the fact that uh, his upbringing included being surrounded by former professional athletes, including a lot of former NFL quarterbacks because of who his dad was and who his dad snapped footballs to. So I think all, you add all that together, and um, you know, Raiola has as good a chance as anybody as a true freshman to come in and, and take that job and run with it. But, you know, again, you gotta, you got to earn it. It's going to start now. It's going to continue through spring ball, and we'll see how it all progresses. But, I mean, all signs are pointing to a guy who has the intangibles and the ability to handle it pretty quickly. Over the next six months or so, Evan, <laughs> with Raiola, how do you balance the, the expectations with what he's actually going to be able to put on the field, what we're actually going to be able to see? I guess my question to you is, will we be able to accurately evaluate his performance through spring football and up through fall camp as we await game one? 
whenever you consider the expectations that are going to be on on, on Dylan Ryle through this spring and, and through summer, him being the expected starter for this job, how do you balance that? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because like the spring, it's going to be about him and the quarterback position, but it's also going to be about the offense and how different the offense is going to look from what it was. It's going to be about Glenn Thomas getting up to speed with uh, not just Raiola, but Daniel Kalen and Heinrich Harburg and what the coaching staff wants to do. I mean, Glenn Thomas spoke with uh, media last month or earlier this month about uh, starting at page one of the playbook. So like they're still to the, like more or less in the conceptual stages of like, okay, what if, what do our quarterbacks do? Well, how can we, put them in the best position to succeed and then what plays sort of go with that. So, you know, it's a different situation than like what's going on on the defensive side where you have a pretty good sense of what Nebraska is about. You have a pretty good sense of who's back. There are so many variables on the offensive side now, not just with the coaching staff reconfiguration, but also the guys around Riola. I mean, you're going to have new receivers out wide. You're going to have, a new uh, running back in the mix and Dante Dowdell. Um, you, you just have so many variables that I think the spring is as much about uh, the intangible stuff. It's as much about what does the offense look like in more of a global perspective uh, than just what Dylan Rail is doing. And so I, I think the other part of that then becomes if you're the, the coaching staff, how long do you feel like the quarterback battle needs to go? I mean, there've been years where, Nebraska is essentially named a starter by the end of spring ball. And then we've seen years where it doesn't happen until the week of a game. So at what point do you figure that out? I know there's, there's value the coaches have said in naming that guy sooner than later. So they can sort of assume that leadership role and take over. Uh, You know, it's it's just going to be up to those quarterbacks. I think to a point at least um, about how long this battle is going to go before somebody is named. Evan Bland's with us from the Omaha World. Harold at Evan Bland, OWH. Evan, couple of minutes here. Going to switch gears to baseball. Our friend Brian uh, in on the uh, the uh, stream asking who's going to be at third base. And once your take on Cristo on the hill tomorrow, uh, hit that for us here. If time permits, we might have to carry you over for two minutes on the other side. We're going to get your, your baseball outlook here early on. But thoughts on Cristo, thoughts on third. Yeah, Christo, you know, fourth career start coming up. He was out of the pen last weekend, uh, still getting built up from an arm strength perspective. It's going to be a challenge, man. I mean, Grand Canyon is no joke with what they do offensively. They have lineup depth, and, you know, they, they like Christo. They like his intangibles, clearly, his stuff. But I think the bugaboo that sort of held him back in his career we saw it a little bit in texas last weekend was the command a little bit a couple walks uh i think maybe a wild pitch or a hit batter but not quite maybe up to what his standard would be or nebraska coaches standards would be for that so i think a successful start for him would be four or five innings if you can get through that and you give up maybe a couple runs and your team's in the game and you hand it over the bullpen that'd be a good place to start you know, as far as third base, it's a bummer with Josh Overbeek with the broken finger. I mean, he was the best hitter Nebraska had last weekend. He was getting on base. Uh, he had a steal. He was a switch hitter. And so in his absence, you're going to see probably some Dylan Huft, who's a junior college transfer, maybe some Rhett Stokes, who's another junior college transfer. Those guys are both high average, above average speed guys. 
Um, you know, Huff was one of the third base starters in the Red White series last fall, so I imagine he'd probably get first crack. But uh, Ben Columbus is somebody else who's a catcher who could also play some third, sort of like Luke Roscom could a few years ago. So they have options over there. I think you're going to keep Dylan Carey at short after he moved over from third last year. Um, but, but you might just see a couple different players in there as they kind of figure out who can fill in for a few weeks. Evan, give us two minutes on the other side. Is that okay? You got it. All right, a couple more minutes. Evan Bland, a little overtime Wednesday edition. It's Hale Varsity, and we're powered by Cornhead Lager. Hale Varsity Radio is live. Now, back to Schmitty. Schmitty's a great guy, but he don't have a brain. And Elijah. You want me to speak? When I point you, yeah. On Hale Varsity Radio. Rolling through a Wednesday here. It's Hale Varsity Radio, powered by Cornhead Lager. Elijah Herbal and Chris Schmidt with you on a Wednesday. We carry on with Evan Bland from the Omaha World Herald talking some Husker baseball and Evan, as we roll through into segment two here, give me a, a quick thought on this Grand Canyon team because quietly, you look at their start to the season, it's been pretty impressive. They've been putting up runs in a pretty good clip. You have four wins over some Power 5 teams. They've already taken down Georgetown, USC, BYU, and Ohio State on the year. Whenever you look at all of that, this Grand Canyon team is not a team, despite the, the name value not necessarily being there, that this Husker baseball team can overlook. Yeah, not at all. I mean, first you look a little bit big picture. This is a team that's favored in the whack to win the title again. They've done that, uh, you know, most of the last decade. They just renovated their field uh, a few years ago. It's one of the better ones on the West Coast, and so it's a team. It's a program that's invested in baseball for sure. Um, and yeah, this the team last year was really balanced. They limit their walks on the mound. They strike guys out. They find different ways to score. They're good defensively. I mean, they're just a sound, balanced team. And, you know, the, the pitchers that they're putting out there, there are a couple freshmen that are going Saturday and Sunday that they feel like could be future aces. Uh, the guy that they're throwing against Christo on Thursday, Daniel Avitia, is a legitimate ace. He's a future major league prospect, so that's going to be uh, tough sledding out of the gate for Nebraska. And then uh, just a really balanced offense, too. I think um, you know anyone who, who follows college baseball a little bit might know the name Zach Yorkie, who's a 295-pound left-handed hitting first baseman. So you know a guy like that's going to jump out at you. He walks more than he strikes out. So like uh, they, they have they have dudes, man. And, and so as much of a challenge as the first weekend was with some old Big 12 South friends, um, Grand Canyon is sort of this modern, um, you know, modern college football power. And it's it's a team absolutely you can't overlook. And quite honestly, it's a, it's a great opportunity for Nebraska. You're talking about from an RPI perspective, true road games that really add weight to uh, what you're wanting to put together. Um, and it's a team that's going to finish with a winning record that's going to have a, a strong season of its own. So big opportunity and a big challenge for Nebraska for sure. Evan uh, got in late to the re- to the start of this segment, uh, the Johnny football drop in a moment. But real quick thought on, on just Will and, and, and Rob's take on this first weekend. If, if that's been asked, both of you yell at me. If not, no, we're good. No, so are they pleased with with how things went despite the one and two start? Yeah, I think so. And 
you know, even the players, like I think they they kind of doubled down on how good they can be, even though they lost a couple of games in the ninth inning. And to me, you just have to look under the hood just a little bit, and you can see a lot of promising signs. I think one, offensively, uh, you know, you, you hit under 200 with runners in scoring position. Even an average team in college baseball over time is going to hit closer to 250. So you, you figure that's going to come around at least a little bit. And Nebraska hit some hard balls to uh, you know, right at infielders that just didn't work out uh, that may have flipped the game. I mean, that's how thin that margin was. And then on the mound, uh, you know, Will Bolt, Rob Childress have said one statistic they most closely correlate with winning is your strikeout-to-walk ratio. And a year ago, at this time, it was like 1-to-1. One one. It was like 18-to-18, 18 18, and that's not good. And this year, I think it's 28-to-11 right now. So you're striking out 28 guys. You're walking 11. You're still figuring out your bullpen roles. I think it's worth noting that 15 Huskers made their Nebraska debuts this weekend. So as much as you can kind of gauge from a player in summer ball and in fall workouts, like you still don't really know until the lights come on against another college opponent. And so I think they learned a lot last weekend about who they can uh, put in different spots, maybe what the, some of those bullpen roles will be. And now you're going to have this weekend, too, where uh, that depth tested even more over four games instead of three against another good opponent. Um, but I think they're, they're that much closer to kind of figuring out you know, and piecing together what that pitching can look like. I've just thought of an analogy, Evan. I want to get your thoughts on if it's accurate for where this Husker baseball team is at and where we're at in our analysis of them. I feel like this team is like buying a classic car off of eBay, you get it shipped to you. It looks pretty good. Look at you and the trust you have online. No, no. Well, I mean, you, you brought in a lot of additions here. I don't want to call them sight unseen, but you don't know how they're going to work together. But the win against Will Baylor. They run? The, the win against Baylor is the car at least turned over. The first time you put the key in the ignition, you turn on, it turns over. You take it out for the drive. It's driving good. You have some problems at stoplights. That's Texas Tech. That's Oklahoma. You got a week to get it back and, and working. Obviously, you have to, to replace a, a piece in, in overbeak. You know, that's a piece you got to replace. But you have another chance. After a, a week of working on it, you have another chance to take it out of the garage. And, and I'm sure there's still going to be some hiccups, but you have a chance to make some progress this weekend against Grand Canyon. Fair? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, there's some, some yeah, I mean, you can take that analogy a little further and say there are some buttons that maybe they didn't know or that they could push or some buttons that, uh, is this really the e-brake? Is this really the right turn signal? I mean, it looked like it was when it was in the garage. Is it going to work in traffic? And you know, maybe it does. Um, and, and in a few cases, maybe it doesn't. Maybe you have to, uh, you know, push a different button in a different situation. And, and I think, honestly, some of those tweaks are going to come on the pitching side mm-hmm. because the lineup more or less stayed the same, and I think it will, again, with the exception of uh, third base, where you're going to have to replace Overbeak. But, uh, you know, it's just a year ago. Like, you think about a year ago, and some of the guys who were starting in mid-February were not starting or even had major roles a month later. So, like, you're still figuring out who's a gamer when the lights are on, when the crowd's out there. Uh, and, and quite honestly, there are guys that didn't even get into games last weekend that I still think could be – you know, key pieces to what Nebraska wants to do. I think Rand Sanders is one who's a transfer from Omaha. I think Ryan Harahill, true freshman, is going to have a big role on this team. I mean, those guys didn't even get on the mound last weekend. So I, you're still kind of figuring things out. Uh, they, st- I, I still think there's enough talent and depth. And, again, over a four-game series, like that's when that's really going to show out along with those midweekers is uh, do you have enough arms to cover those games? Do you have enough offense to – 
to hang with another pretty good club on the other side. Nebraska feels like it does. Some of the results weren't there, but sort of, again, the, the metrics and the underlying numbers would say that they're actually in a pretty good place. Evan Bland with us from the Omaha World Herald at Evan Bland OWH. Evan will check in again. We'll send you some of that Johnny football audio. Thanks for, for giving us a little OT today, bud. You got it, guys. Thanks. All right, there he is, Evan Bland with us.